Welcome everybody once again. We are going to be in Colossians. This is our second week of this new sermon series. So Colossians 1 verses 3 through 8 is where we're going to be. So if you want to open your Bibles there, uh, there's Bibles in front of you. It's going to be on the screen as usual. Uh, While you're doing that, I want to remind you about the resource wall over there. All of those books are free. We want you to take those books. So when they start disappearing, we are excited because we feel like they're a great supplement to what we have in God's Word. This is our our chief uh, authority. The Scripture is what we cling to for life and godliness, but those books over there help us really understand what is being communicated about Christ in here. Because the more we know about Christ, the greater love we will have for him and we will get to, uh, it'll be easier to walk after him and be obedient to him. Amen. All right. So um, a couple of announcements as we begin. Uh, we have a members meeting coming up on September 5th. So all of you members, uh, please uh, put that on your calendar and be there. It's a great time of celebration. All of you who went to the foundations class last Sunday, please uh, reach out to one of the elders and uh, get that interview taken care of so you can be brought into membership as well. And then we have community groups throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That's really where the life of the church happens. We talk about this every week because it is so important. That is where you're going to witness the gospel transformation and, and likely experience it with the body of believers as we are united there. Also, to remind you of the connect cards. There's connect cards in front of you in those seats. Uh, please fill those out. You can drop them in the collection baskets at the stage, the sound booth, or in the box next to the, the resource wall. Those cards are there for us to know how we might be able to pray for you or serve you in this time. You who are watching it online, uh, there's a digital connect card on the front page of the website. Please fill those out. Again, that's really a way that we as the elders uh, can connect and, and have a way to, to a touch point to be in prayer for each and every one of you. So you don't have to have some sort of trouble going on to do one of those. You can tell us something great or just uh, drop one in there and, and, and remind us to pray for you as we do. So uh, let me pray for us now, and then we can get into our sermon. Father, we're grateful for your love. We're grateful for the truth. Help us today to uh, walk in faith. Help us to hear this truth and let us... Um, Lord, uh, do the work that you have called us to do as you've commissioned us to the mission of your Son. Be with us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to read Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. So if you would stand with me in reverence for God's Word, and I will read it for us. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bibles. And um, this is what it says, Colossians 1, verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. It's been God. Have a seat. I mean, just pray again. Father, we're thankful for your word. We are grateful. Just want to uh, show our gratitude for who you are and what you've done on our behalf, Lord. You are good. You are wonderful, Lord. Uh, I'm grateful that you are so personal and uh, you, you, you have come to us. Uh, thank you, Lord. Be with us in this time through your spirit. We trust in you in Christ's name and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so last week I mentioned that this uh, Colossian church that we're talking about was just about five years old, uh, sort of like Maranatha is, and that this letter wasn't actually addressing their possible disbelief or even their outright denial 
of Jesus as the Christ. Rather, this letter was written because there were false teachers attempting to get their counterfeit news to seep into the hearts and minds of the people who were the church there in Colossae, with the seemingly inevitable end of having the church follow after them. So this, this, this letter is written because there were false teachers trying to get into the church or, or, or push their ideas and beliefs into the church as a way to create a following of them. And to be honest with you, or maybe to, to highlight this reality, in the time of ministry that I've uh, been in different churches and, and, and served, I've not only heard about this happening, but we've even experienced that here at Maranatha. We've experienced that even in our short time as a church, we've experienced this kind of thing that Paul is talking about. There's just something about a new group of people who are coming together to gather that entices the type of person who desires a following, someone who wants a position, which again is why this letter is written. Paul is speaking against those people to the church, this, uh, this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae, some 2,000 years ago or so, it's why this letter is so seasonable for us. Because this is who we are. This, as this church, as you're going to see as we continue to walk this out over the many weeks, you're going to see us time and time and time come up again in this book of Colossians. This letter is incredibly seasonal for us today. They were a young church. We are a young church. They were a developing body of believers, and prayerfully, we too will always be continually to grow and to develop in the right knowledge and truth about Jesus Christ as our Lord continues to build his church here through our preaching, through our efforts, and living out of that gospel truth that he is teaching us. Now, what I've done or decided to do with this passage today, I've decided to divide up this text for today uh, with describing three aspects of that gospel truth. So we're hoping to grow in that gospel truth, and I wanted to, to uh, I, I see in this text, I wanted to give us three aspects of what that gospel truth does. Paul tells us in this passage that the good news of the gospel will bear fruit. It will bear fruit. Uh, this is the same idea that the prophet Isaiah is talking about in uh, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, talking about God's sovereign will and his word. The prophet Isaiah says this, he says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You remember last week, uh, in, in last week's sermon, the point that we talked about as we looked at the beginning of this letter? Paul was telling us that everything is accomplished and allowed by the will of God. It all hinges on the authority of Christ. It hinges by the will of God. Therefore, we can have confidence that the gospel is going to accomplish what it will for the glory of God. It will bear fruit. We can have confidence in that. As we work this out, as we press into the areas of our life and including our heart, it will bear fruit. So going back to those three aspects of the gospel truth, uh, I'm going to stick with that sort of analogy on how the gospel bears fruit, all right? So what we're going to look at is, one, uh, what it grows, two, where it grows, and then number three, how it grows, all right? So 
what it grows, where it grows, and how it grows. So we'll go back and we can begin uh, at the top of our passage with verse 3. This is what it, it says. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Last week, we learned that the Apostle Paul was the writer of this letter, but what I didn't mention in last week's sermon was that Timothy was also with him. Timothy was this young elder who was being mentored by Paul to essentially take over the ministry that he was called to as well, who was likely there was uh, this man Epaphras that we meet today. Epaphras uh, was the one who uh, went to Paul, who was in prison, uh, and actually requested for this letter to be written. And the reason why Epaphras went to Paul is because he felt a responsibility for this church, because Epaphras was the guy who brought the gospel to Colossae, his hometown, right? He's the guy who, uh, who planted the church, likely not by himself, but he was the guy who planted the church in that city. So the we that we read in verse 3, it's kind of hard to say, the we that we read in verse 3 could be both Paul and Timothy, or actually it could be all three of them as Paul is, is speaking from, their, uh, from, from that sort of collective position. Again, here's the verse. We always thank God the Lord, uh, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, I'm going to get to the first point of what the gospel grows, but before I do that, I think it's important that we see what Paul's thankfulness here is focused on. Before we actually get into what the gospel grows, we need to see what Paul's thankfulness is rooted in. It's sort of what is it founded or focusing upon, because in just a moment, spoiler, in just a moment, I'm going to tell you that the gospel truth produces faith, love, and hope. That's what it's going to produce. I'm going to tell you in a moment that it, how it produces faith, hope, and love. Therefore, we might make the mistake and think that that is why Paul is thankful. Now, of course, he is. Paul is thankful for these things, but his complete gratitude is not in what we are. Rather, it is in God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the difference? His focus is on God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that matters. And the reason why I'm making such a big point about this and why I'm pointing it out is because it's so easy for us when we read the Bible, hear about ourselves, and then begin to think that God's Word is about us. Of course, it is, but really it isn't, right? It, is, it does talk about us, but really it isn't about us. The Bible and the gospel is in fact about Jesus, who is the Christ. That's all of Scripture. So when we read the Scripture, even when it's talking about people of the Bible, it's talking about Jesus. It's leading us into a deeper and greater understanding of Him. Now, with that in mind, we can see that Paul here is thankful to God because the Colossian church has been given those fruits, has been given faith in Jesus Christ love for all those who belong to the kingdom family, and hope because there's a place that has been reserved for them in heaven. He's thanking God for the gift that he has given to the Colossian church of faith, love, and hope. And I'm going to explain these three fruits as they are what the gospel truth produces, although really, instead of looking at them just as fruits, we should really see them as gifts from the Lord. 
We should see them as gifts from God and not just virtues that we can sort of muster up on our own and, and, and be faithful or love somebody by caring about them or just hope in hope in a, in a sense. Because without the Holy Spirit's work within us, this is the gift, one of the, the greatest gifts and guarantees that we have. Without the work of the Holy Spirit within us, our attempts at those things of faith, love, and hope, they're just going to be empty. They're going to be self-motivated, and they're going to be unfounded because faith must have an object. We must be rooted in something. Everyone, 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 anyone, anywhere has faith in something, all right? We need to see what it is, and while not knowing what we believe, some people even might say, well, I have faith in faith, but faith in faith is empty because, again, there needs to be an object, it's only the object of our faith that gives validity to what we believe. So without the Holy Spirit's gift, this idea of faith, hope, and love will be empty and self-motivated and unfounded because faith in faith is empty. We need an object of faith, and it's that object of faith that gives validity to what we believe. You following me? That's a yes, good. All right. Uh, now, there are multiple parables in the Bible that explain this idea that I'm trying to talk about, so I'm just going to pick one. And the one that I'm going to pick is the one about the house on the rock in Matthew 7. We, if you've been in church, you probably know this parable, but the story goes like this. There's these two men, and both of them are in the same sort of storm. They're going through sort of the same thing. And one had built his home on the sand, and the other built his home on a rock. Well, as the storm continued to, to beat on their houses, the one built on the sandy foundation crumbled, and then the one built on the foundation of rock remained sure and was able to hold up against every single attack that the storm brought forward. But you see, again, the parable is not about the houses. So often we can make it about the house, we can make it about ourselves, but the parable is not about the houses. The important part of the story begs the question, what kind of foundation are you standing on? Again, it's the object of our faith that matters. What kind of foundation are you standing on? Is, is yours secure? Is yours unchanging? Is yours perfect? You see, there are all kinds of things in this world that are true. That's the reality. There are all kinds of things in this world that are true, but only Jesus Christ is the truth. Jesus Christ is the only thing in this world that is the truth. It's true that the beach is beautiful. It's true that it provided this desirable place for this person to live, but the truth of the matter is that the only place of assurance was in the foundation of rock. You hear the difference? Which, when it comes to faith, is only and always Jesus Christ, who is the foundation of our salvation. He is the rock of our salvation, right? So there's a big difference. It's the object of our faith. The gospel truth also produces in us love for one another. So there's faith and then there's love. Paul says in verse 4, We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Believing the gospel's truth inevitably changes us in our lives. And Paul is saying that love is one of those changes. In fact, what Paul does is he, he connects faith and love together because you won't have the fullness of one without the other. 
You can't have the fullness of one without the other. 1 John 4.20 says this. This is the Apostle, Paul, or Apostle John. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You can't have one without the other. You can't have faith or claim faith if you don't love the saints. When we understand that we are God's children by his adoption of us into his kingdom family, which is evidenced by our faith in him, our selfishness and our self-centeredness and our greediness, our desire to take and get all that we can from people will change into a genuine love for people. We'll desire for their best. We'll desire to serve them. We'll desire to die to ourselves as a way to uh, serve them in many, many different ways in life. Because when we realize in faith that God perfectly loves us, even though he fully knows us, that is when all of this comes together. That is when our hearts will change because we are changed. Because he has changed us. Now the third one here is hope. Paul is not just thankful to God that he has given these people as well as all believers. He's not just thankful that God has given them faith in him and love for one another, but he also has provided them with hope that has been laid up in heaven. Faith, love, and hope that has been laid up in heaven. In his commentary, John MacArthur offhandedly said, we believe and so we hope. He just kind of threw it in there at the end of a paragraph as he's sort of expounding on all this idea, and he simply summarizes it, which I think was very clever. We believe, and so we hope. Which is, again, I think summarizes this truth so well, because that term, laid up, means that we have something in store for us. The Lord has set aside something in heaven. That term, laid up, means reserved. 1 Peter 1.4 talks about how there is this inheritance just waiting for us, one that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, and it's being kept for us in heaven. Going on to verse 5, he continues by saying, this is accomplished by God's power. This is something that he does for us, that we, uh, that we are also being guarded through faith so we can eventually be given that completed salvation. This is all, again, by the will of God for our good, but in praise and glory to Him. Our hope isn't out there in the world for us to discover. Rather, it's found in the one that will one day be perfectly restored by Christ. That is where our hope lies. It's where it's laid up for us. It's reserved for us with God. The world wants satisfaction now. It's why the world believes that there is something out there that they need to find when it's already been discovered in Christ. The world wants satisfaction now. The world can only search for validation in the things that are losing their value. When in contrast, the thing that makes a Christian different is our knowledge, belief, and trust in the gospel, which gifts to us faith, love, and hope in Jesus Christ. We believe and hope in all that he has done for us because we trust in all that he is. Christians find their fulfillment in the never-ending, always and forever infinite value of the gospel. Something that never fades. 
It will never be taken over because it's built on Jesus Christ and his infinite righteousness. That is the promise and the hope that we can cling to. And this gospel truth that we're talking about is not just for us. It's not just for us. It's for the entire world. It's the gift that we then get to be a part of giving to the entire world. Where will it go and grow? Everywhere, Paul says. It's going to grow everywhere. The gospel, verse 5, verse 6, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel truth isn't just a good way to live your life. If it's the truth which is is because it came from God, then it's the only way for all people to have life. It's not just a good way to live, to be a better person. Uh, uh, A Christian's a better person than a Buddhist or something like that. It's not just a good way to live. It's rather the only way that we have life. Amen? The gospel is the only gift for the world that will benefit the entire world. Because the gospel truth doesn't assimilate cultures, it redeems them. The gospel truth doesn't assimilate cultures, it redeems them. The gospel was preached to the people in Colossae for the first time by Epaphras, and the fruit that was born was new life for all those people. The gospel is the greatest and most universal gift because it provides eternal life for all people in all nations of every tongue and tribe. That is the promise. That is where we find our confidence in what we are doing as Christians. As disciples being called to make more disciples, it will bear fruit. It is literal salvation. It is literal salvation for whoever repents of their worldly ways and yields their life to Christ. That is his promise. It's easy. You give your life to Christ. It already belongs to him. Repent and yield your life to Christ. One of the commentators that I was reading this week said this. He said, the gospel is the only seed that can be planted anywhere in the world and bear fruit. The gospel is the only seed that can be planted anywhere in the world and bear fruit. And we can believe that this is true because that is what God's word tells us will happen. Remember the prophet Isaiah. God's word will accomplish what he desires to achieve wherever he desires to achieve it. It's done by the will of God. His desire is for us to turn, repent, turn from the world, repent, and follow after him. God's word will accomplish what he desires to achieve wherever he desires to achieve it. Now, lastly, we need to see how the gospel grows. We need to see how God has ordained for the gospel truth to grow. Verse 7, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Historians tell us that Epaphras was likely saved and he, as he listened to uh, the Apostle Paul's preaching and teaching while he was in Ephesus. Epaphras then traveled back home to Colossae and began uh, telling people about this good news of Jesus Christ, which he had just learned. But Epaphras didn't just tell people. He didn't just go to his family and tell them about this great experience he had and then move on and go back to work. Of course not. The truth transformed him. 
The truth transformed him. It transformed his desires and his motivations for this life. He was changed. Epaphras was changed. He then leveraged all of his life so as many people as possible could be given new life just like him. He not only told people about Jesus, but he also helped them grow in faith, love, and hope towards Jesus. And as he taught them, he prayed with them. He struggled with them. He walked through the storms of life alongside of them, but he wasn't building followers of himself. Rather, like Paul and John the Baptist, he was attempting to live as a faithful example so people could follow him as he followed Christ. That's what discipleship looks like. Follow me as I follow after Christ. It's not about us. It's about the Lord. It's all about him. Therefore, in the same way, we too are to give our lives to Christ in the way of living with and for one another's benefit. And the only way to participate in that blessing as God's children is to put in the effort of being with God's children. It's not just coming here on Sunday. It's honestly not just also coming to community group. It's leveraging your life for the gospel, being with God's children as God's children. That's what Paul is calling us to. That's what Epaphras is exampling for us. Again, what is the greatest gift that we can share with each other? It's the gospel. We need it every day. We need it all the time. The greatest gift we can give each other is the gospel because the gospel speaks to all of life, here and there. We live today in faith and love because we have been given a hope for tomorrow. It is what we need for here and to be reminded of there. The glory of the gospel is about a man. It's just not you or me. The glory of the gospel is centered on the God-man, the person, Jesus, who is the Christ. He is our Messiah. He is our Savior. He is also our Lord. He is the word of truth, and this letter is about his preeminence. Therefore, while we're doing the work, when you're doing the work of sharing the truth, or as you're discipling a young believer, remember that the power of the gospel is in God's word. The power of the gospel is in God's word. And while we're planting and cultivating his truth in them, pray that God will produce the necessary growth and change in them as well as in yourself. We all need the gospel here and to be reminded about tomorrow. If you would please pray with me. Father, we love you and trust you. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you for the truth that we have in the hope of your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us. Father, I pray that we as a body, that we are marked by this example. I pray, Lord, that you move us and you give us a thirst for your word to to, to drink it in on a daily basis. But Lord, let it motivate our hearts and all of our desires in this life to press the mission forward, to be about the things that you're about, to love the things you love, to hate the things that you hate. Help us to abolish the things in our life, Lord, that displease you. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Thank you for your forgiveness. Help us to be people of love and forgiveness, that we have been loved and forgiven. It's in your son's name we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.